Good morning. I, I am Mike Overstreet. I'm one of the pastors here at E3. And today we are going to continue on in our first series of the new year that we are calling Undone. And we kicked off the series last week. If you weren't here, recommend you find it on our podcast or our Vimeo to get caught up. But basically what we're doing is we're trying to start our new year by diving into one of the foundational convictions of the gospel story of Jesus. It's this radical upside down claim, this unwavering belief that somehow in God's reality, death is followed by resurrection and new life. It's this crazy claim at the center of the New Testament that somehow through Jesus, what we find on the other side of those things we call dying is actually being reborn to who we are supposed to be. And more specifically, what we're doing is we're engaging this claim at the center, the heart of the gospel through one lens, what it means for us as disciples of Jesus when it comes to how we see, understand, and respond to our brokenness. Basically, what does this story of death followed by resurrection do to us in terms of how we see the moments in our lives where we most feel like dying? What does it mean to take Jesus' story of death and resurrection and to let it radically turn upside down how we understand those moments in our life that our world calls failures, falling down, breaking, the moments when we truly come undone as people? And what might it look like to learn this new gospel vision for those moments? To learn that in God's story of grace, these moments aren't to be rejected, denied, ignored, hidden, shamed, but rather there's a way of looking at them, of expecting them, and understanding them as the painful but necessary moments of dying to ourself that actually lead us to new life on the other side. What might it look like to learn to see our wounds as the very pathways through which God resurrects us to who we were meant to be? And I don't know about you, but that's a, that's a story for a new year that I could get behind. So that's what we're going to do this series. We're going to dive into it, and I'm so excited. And as we introduced last week, one of the ways that we're going to do that actually is through a central metaphor. You can see it here. It's this Japanese art form called kintsugi. And we talked about this. What it is, is it's this unique practice from Japanese culture where they repair broken pieces of ware, so things like plates, cups, any object that you would find around your house, by piecing them back together again, highlighting the cracks with gold liqueur. And this is a concept that's very alien for us in American culture, right? When I break a bowl, I just throw it away. It no longer can be a bowl. So why would I keep it? If you are doing that, that's your problem. But in this practice, it's actually really profound. You see, rather than seeing it as becoming useless because it went through a season of breaking, they actually think that somehow that season was a natural part of the object's life. You see, in Kintsugi, there's this profound philosophy that we should expect objects to have seasons of breakage and repair. And thus, if we expect it, if we anticipate it, if we assume it's going to happen, it changes the way we respond to them when they are broken. Rather than seeing them as having become useless, we actually see them as going through a process of transformation where, with the right actions, the right steps, the right substance between the cracks, 
they can actually become more beautiful than they had originally been. And that's what it looks like, right? It looks like taking these cracked pieces, putting the gold in between, accentuating the very things that often in our culture we try to hide when something breaks because it understands that those broken pieces should be celebrated because it was part of transforming it into what it was intended to be. And I think that is a beautiful practice. And for today, I actually want to look at this Kintsugi practice through a powerful story of it being put into practice that was brought to me by a member of my growth group here in the community. You see, it comes out of Japan. Um, In 2011, I'm sure a lot of you know, Japan was hit with an earthquake and a series of tsunamis that were basically the largest natural disaster the country had ever faced. I mean, it was a devastating turn of events. Entire towns were wiped off the map. They estimate upwards of 200,000 to 500,000 buildings were destroyed. Up to 20,000 people are believed to have died over the course of a day. I mean, it was just a devastating moment in their history. And it was a a disaster that left the region crushed and in many ways in despair. And in the space of disaster, this Kintsugi philosophy was put to the test. You see, this vision that somehow breaking repair our movements of life that we have to accept and face and reuse, they had to find a way to hold that while facing the worst possible breaking that we can imagine as human beings. Enter what I want to talk about today. It was this group called the Nozomi Project. And this organization is a really cool thing. See, what they did is they set out to respond to this disaster with this Kintsugi hope put into living practice in this moment in time. See, what they did was they created this organization that was set up as an avenue for making jobs and hiring local women from the areas most directly hit. And what the job was, was these women created jewelry. But here's the unique part. All of this jewelry is made from broken pottery found in the remains of those towns. So they collected from their deepest wound this disaster moment these beautiful pieces of what was destroyed, and they started repurposing them into jewelry, into something to adorn, into badges of honor. A reminder that after this breaking, once again, they can believe that they will be put back together again, new. And I just found that to be profound. I don't know about you, but it's just an example of what it looks like to hold on to belief in the face of disaster, to live out this vision of life when everything in our world pushes against it and tells us that we should let this belief go. When we are forced to put our beliefs to the test in the face of what is the most profound breaking of all. And I believe that this also highlights a hard truth about the nature of a community of belief. You see, I think it reminds us that sometimes belief is only really known to be true when it is tested. See, we all hold beliefs as human beings. We have these ideas about ourselves, our world, how things work, and we hold on to them, don't we? But we don't often know if we truly believe them until we have to put them into action under the most extreme circumstances. See, I think the funny part about beliefs is we don't actually know if we believe them or not until they are tested by disaster and we have to live them out. And I think that's just a convicting truth about our community 
any human community. We only know who a community is and what they believe by looking at who they are when they go through the fire, when the real testing comes. Because it's the only time we can know if a community truly believes what it thinks it believes about itself. And that is the truth that the church must take seriously. Because I believe that just like in our own lives, the church as a community is only truly the church when it lives within that story we've been given, the one of death and resurrection. Which means that the church is only truly the church when it can live out resurrection in the face of what we so often call dying. And that's what I want to explore today. I want to look at what it means for the church to actually be the church, taking this central belief and looking at how it makes us a community that can faithfully hold on to the gospel story of death and resurrection, breaking and remaking, when that belief is most put to the test, when the community comes undone. I want to look at what it means for the church to truly be a kintsugi community when disaster strikes and it has to see what it's made of. I want to look at the church as a community that has a story that tells it that it can expect failure, falling down, breaking, undoing, but through its reliance on Jesus, through its reliance on the story it's been given, it can respond to it in a radically unique way. It as a community, can look at it through this upside-down story and truly, on the other side, profess that it believes that death is followed by resurrection. I think that's what it means to be the church, to live that out when it matters most. And to do so, to look at this, to look at how this story kind of becomes embodied in this community, I want to look at the church's origin stories in the New Testament. For those who don't know, uh, the church's origin is captured in this book called Acts, and it follows immediately after our four gospel stories of Jesus, the four different stories of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And Acts begins where the gospels end. Jesus has just died. He's been crucified. He's been resurrected. And now the disciples have to start piecing together what this means. They've witnessed a man die and come back to life. And we, as a modern church who have grown up in Christian culture, find that to not be a very big deal when I say that out loud. You've heard it too many times. But for a first century Jewish people, this is pretty world shattering. Dead people do not come back to life. So if you woke up on Monday thinking dead people don't come back to life, and then on Tuesday you're like, in fact, they do, and he's somehow a king, would that shatter your world a little bit? Might it just turn a few things upside down, right? Like maybe I don't know this place as well as I thought I did, right? And that's what's taking place. You see, Acts begins right after this witness, this event, and they are suddenly coming to terms with the fact that their whole universe has been reordered, has been reshaped, has quite frankly been blown apart. They live in an alien place that they did not realize existed before that event had happened. And what we see is that the rest of Acts, it depicts these disciples trying to process through this climatic, world-changing event in the story of God. And as they do, we see the church as a community begin to form out of this wrestling. The disciples start inviting others into this new reality that they found, and a new kind of community crashes into the world. And it's one defined by two key attributes. The first is this radical claim of Jesus that he is still present with his people. 
We read at the end of the Gospels that Jesus says, my presence through my spirit will stay with my followers after my body has gone. It's a central claim, again, of the New Testament that Jesus' presence is at the center of the people who claim to be his disciples, that he is with them, that he will never leave them, that he has not gone even though he has gone in body. And then the second thing, after they center around this presence at the center of who they are, the second thing is that we realize that this new community is grounded in a new story of reality. It has at its center this reality that is totally new, that dead people can come back, that our king found victory on the other side of death and resurrection. So that somehow, in God's reality, death is followed by new life. We got his presence, we got this story coming together at the center of this community, and from that, what we see in Acts is it begins to shape a new kind of people in the world. We find it in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Now, I want to sit with this text for a few minutes because I think this text is powerfully instructive for what the church is and how it exists in the world. You see, within this text, there's actually this cascading flow going on that you might have missed. It's actually, I think, really, really cool how this paragraph works. And I want to show you what I mean. So notice what the first phrase is. It says that this community was devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, this can be misleading for us as modern Christians. When you hear the phrase, the apostles' teaching, what do you think of? The New Testament, anybody? The gospel stories? Maybe some of Paul's letters, right? There's a problem with that. This event, what we're talking about in Acts, takes place decades before any of that was written down or compiled. This is taking place before the New Testament books in any kind have been brought into existence, much less put into an ordered text that they can hold on to and study. So that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about these gospel-ridden texts of Jesus. Think about what the apostles' teaching is at this moment in history, in this time and space. They only really have two things. They have the witness of an event, Death and resurrection has taken place. They witnessed this event. They experienced it. They know it happened. And the second thing is that they have memories. They lived with Jesus for a while. They have stories about what he taught, about who he was, about his lifestyle, about his actions. And what this says is this community has gathered these two things, thinking about this event and these stories about Jesus, and they have devoted themselves to it. And this word devoted is a very charged word in the Greek. It doesn't mean like we worked really hard at something. It's a word for apprenticeship. What it really is, is it's a full life engagement of a practice, vocation, or education. It's like if you wanted to become a blacksmith, you would find a blacksmith and live under them and learn the trade, devote yourself to becoming a blacksmith also, correct? So they devoted themselves 
I mean, this is fascinating. I just think this is a profound moment. It's a profound idea of what the church is right in front of us. This isn't just a community passively reading the New Testament books. At the center of this new community is an identity that is far more active, ongoing, and engaged. You see, what I would say is this is the image of people who have witnessed this upside-down resurrection event that has blown their world up, and they're starting to realize that creeping fact that if this story is in fact true, then it might just change everything. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to realize that if this upside-down thing is actually our reality now, well, maybe that changes how I see myself. Maybe this death and resurrection thing changes how I see how my world works, how I exist in my world, what the Bible is about, who Jesus was, how God operates. My entire reality has changed. That light bulb just turned on for them. One of my favorite teaching pastors, Tim Mackey, put it this way, this first image of the church as a community is one defined by being voted to full life learning. They are a community of learners with everything in their life. In other words, it's a community of people fully engaging the story of Jesus as if by doing so, they are in fact learning their own story in the process. I mean, what we see is a people devoting all of themselves to unraveling fully what the story of death and resurrection means for everything in their world. And then, allowing that new story to change how they see all of themselves through that filter. This is the central and first task of the church at its origins. And this is what's cool about this passage, is from this first task, the rest of the passage actually shows itself as this cascading fruit being produced from them devoting themselves to working out what this story means and how it applies to their entire universe. And this is so cool. The unraveling of this resurrection reality led them to change their practices. It led them to change how they exist in the world. It led them to reshape themselves entirely around it. It says that they devoted themselves to fellowship. And we hear that and we think like hanging out. But in this passage, the Greek word for this is a far more charged word than just chilling together. It's this Greek word koinonia, and it's basically this image of people living fully interconnected, an intertwining of everyone in the community's entire life. It's a community of people who have come together and they share everything, their story, their times, their gifts, their talents, their love, forming a new kind of family together. It says that their devotion to this teaching, to this event, led them to break bread, which means both the intimate sharing of meals, coming into each other's homes, sharing our lives, but it also means communion. It means that they gathered together as a community to retell and remember this event of death and resurrection, and then together they started reflecting on all that it might mean. It says that the devotion to this led them to gauge in prayer and meeting together in the temple courts and in homes. It's an image of people learning to connect to this new shared source at the center of their identity together. The spirit of Christ still with us, still leading us. So they're connecting to it with prayer and then they're gathering regularly together to worship, to learn, meaning in both large gatherings and small gatherings, realizing that if this story is true, then we are gonna need each other to work out all that it means. 
We got to do this together. So they met together. And finally, I love this part. They shared everything in common. They sold their possessions and they gave to those who had need. It's this beautiful image of community that found in Jesus' story of death and resurrection, maybe my stuff is not my own. Maybe if God tells us that his reality works by death and resurrection, I need to let my purpose for the gifts I've been given die so I can see them resurrected to help others and build a kingdom bigger than myself. I mean, this working out of death and resurrection literally changed how they saw their stuff. It changed how they saw everything. I mean, all of this is depicted as the fruit just naturally produced from this community with the presence of Jesus at their center and their devotion to learning what his story means, reshaping everything about who they are as a community in our world. It is a beautiful vision of the church's origins as an idealistic image of what God's people are called to be in the world. And I love it. I think it's one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. The hard part, though, is that if you've read your Bible, the church does not just stay in this space. This does not go on forever. Its story does not end there. I'm afraid that as the Jesus movement grows and it spreads and the church begins to go out into the ancient Near East, it also begins to find struggle. It begins to learn that living within this new God reality in a world that so often does not match it is a very hard thing to do. And what we find is we find throughout the New Testament church communities that after their own idyllic starts begin to experience hardship, trial, and at some points, even disaster. The New Testament is full of stories about churches who are undergoing rabid persecution from the surrounding Roman world. People are being fed to lions. People are being arrested. People are being kidnapped. People are being fired from their jobs. We read that churches at some points begin to experience famine, poverty, loss, deep grief, other stories show that churches are, are wrecked by moral failings of their leaders and their members that cause wounds within the community that just break relationships. We see that some churches have teachings from the surrounded Roman world that undermine the story of Jesus entirely and start breaking them from the practices, from who they are. It starts fracturing communities along power lines, along unjust views of the poor. Rivalries and factions of people fighting for power. And at other points, we see churches that just fall apart. They split. Under the weight of this world, the people leave the community and often the faith altogether. They say, believing a story about death and resurrection was fun until the death part came. And then I'm not sure I really want to stick around for it. What we see is communities who begin to come undone under the weight of falling down, failing, breaking. But here's what I find powerful in the New Testament. See, when you read the New Testament, you'll see that the authors, the earliest disciples, give us a response to these moments that we might not like very much. It makes us a little uncomfortable. You see, what they don't do is they don't blame the disasters or the specific circumstances for the fruit that comes out of the church when it experiences it. They also don't tell the church that the solution to your problems is going to come when your circumstances change or when you have no more problems. No, what we find 
Now, the authors of the New Testament talk about these moments as expected, that the church, with the story it's been given, should expect these hardships, and that in them, they find the true test of what the community is and believes. What we find is that in them, they are found to be who they are. And they give, these authors in the New Testament, they point to two major pieces of the church's origins whenever they experience these moments of breaking. First, they say, have you made sure you're connected to the presence at your center? They remind them that you as a church are only the church when you are connected to your source, the spirit, the presence of Jesus who is with you now. And if you want to go forward, you need to return to it, to recenter yourselves around Jesus present with you right now trying to lead you. And the second thing they say, and this is the one that always gets me, they tell them, remember your story and redevote yourselves to learning it. See, they don't blame the circumstance. They say that you need to remember the story of death and resurrection and devote yourself to working out what that means for you right here, right now, in the midst of the very season you call death. In the eyes of the New Testament, the problem is not the circumstances of breaking. The problem is the amnesia and apathy of the church remembering its story and letting it produce the right fruit. In other words, the church breaks because it's forgotten who it is. In the face of disaster and undoing, they say the solution is remember your story and devote yourselves to applying it. And I mean, this is convicting for me. I don't know about you, because it captures honestly what we should expect as a people living in the story of Jesus. It doesn't deny that brokenness is part of our world, nor does it ignore the challenge of broken human beings trying to learn what it means to live together in community. For the New Testament authors, that should be expected, given the story that we profess we have been invited into. I mean, our story is about a crucified God giving his life, seeing himself remade, resurrected for one reason, to bring in the lost and to remake broken people. Do you think that story tells us that we will not suffer in this life? No. Our story is about a crucified Christ. It's part of the package. <laughs> in that story, the problem is not that breaking and falling down happened. These are to be expected in our story. And the solution is not excluding broken people or disconnecting from Christ's presence in communing or living in a fantasy I think to believe that either of these are solutions is to say that we've forgotten our story. And the New Testament says that when we do that, we forget who we are and we lose the fruit that we were made to produce as a community. We replace fellowship with shame, gathering with isolation, grace with judgment, giving and serving with selfishness, reconciliation with retaliation, prayer with disconnection. And I want you to hear this part, church. I want you to hear this one. In that space of amnesia, the New Testament is clear. The church becomes a community that experiences plenty of breaking and dying and very little resurrection and remaking because it's not who you're called to be. That's just not the story we've been given. No, the church 
like the people who comprise it, is called to be a kind of Kensugi community. A community that truly believes that the story of Jesus is its own story. A community that lives fully in God's death and resurrection reality, a reality that expects failure, brokenness, death, but responds to it in a totally unique way within our world. It responds to them as the necessary experiences that when engaged with the spirit of God can bring about resurrection and new life on the other side of dying to who we thought we were. And this is put to the test in those moments when the church, like any community, watches itself come undone when it's rocked by disaster, when it feels the full weight of failure, falling down, breaking, and dying, because in those moments, the two things that are tested are the two things we need, the connection to our source, to Christ's presence, to his spirit, and the belief that his story is true when tested. And I can think of nothing more convicting, and despite how I often feel hopeful for our community right now in this season, Element three is not unique in this regard. We are not the only church in the history of Christ to be spared from going through sufferings, breakings, falling down, failure. We, like every church in history, have been told a story that tells us to expect that that will happen. That our church, like every church, is going to go through seasons of breaking and failing and dying to ourselves. We have found ourselves feeling like we've been undone this last year, haven't we? Am I the only one? No. I mean, we have just been put to the test. I don't know about you, but this year's been hard. We've watched two pastors move on from this community. One just moved to his next season of life in vocation. Another whose life fell apart. A dear friend, a father figure, a brother of mine who watched himself come undone under the weight of his brokenness. I mean, we watched him get shattered. And it shook our community to the core, did it not? How could it not? Of course it did. And in the face of having to put our story to the test, I believe we found ourselves experiencing all that we could imagine. I have seen great victories come out of this church in the face of brokenness. I am deeply proud of this community for how it walked this last season. Our community got the opportunity that so few do where it actually got the opportunity to walk its talk when it came to being a place of grace for the most broken people in our world. We had the opportunity to prove who we are, a community sold out to giving grace and reconciliation to those that fall down and come undone. I mean, I watched our community lived out its story well. I saw a community that had done the work of devotion for years to what it means to resurrect lives through grace that when the time came, it could be the kind of people that could choose to walk the hard road of grace and redemption rather than rejection, shame, and judgment. To live out its story when faced with the biggest of falling downs. I watched our community, quite frankly, do something amazing. I watched us give hope 
to a broken man who had been ashamed his whole life. I watched our community help heal a family, give itself and its time and its energy to mending what could have shattered. I watched our community come together and rally around a line in the sand when it comes to grace, saying this is who we are and we can't be E3 if we do not live it out. I am so proud of that, y'all. It's why I'm here. It's why I'm in this church. This is why it's my home, because I got to see you guys be who you said you were. And that is awesome. But as always with crisis, we also found ourselves facing our fair share of failures and defeats, didn't we? I saw a crisis expose cracks in our community that had probably been there for a very long time. You know, it's the kind of cracks that just go unseen when times are good. Why would you even look at it? Why would you be searching for cracks? Everything's great. And yet when crisis came around, I saw those cracks come to the surface and split. I saw that many of us, myself included, whether we knew it or not, had put a pastor on a pedestal, a pedestal that that pastor had no problem getting on himself. And all of us fell down when he fell off. I watched weakness and brokenness exposed by the testing of our organization's decision-making and financial systems, systems that quite frankly failed when they were put to true testing. More than anything, I saw good and perfect people trying to do their best in impossible circumstances. And inevitably, as is always the case with impossible circumstances, I watched those imperfections in them lead to mistakes and wounds. I saw and I felt my own fair share of conflict and division, those very things Paul warned me about. I found myself in them. I saw hurt people hurting people on all sides. And ultimately, what I grieved most from this season was I saw the breaking and cracking of some cherished relationships, some people who left our community, people I called brothers and sisters. And in that, I mourned, I lamented, I grieved, I felt spiritual death. And I don't know if I'm the only one. And yet, on the other side of all the season of breaking, I sit here now and I hear the call given by Christ to his church across history. I hear him whisper, I am present. Find me in this too. Remember who you are. Remember the story you're living in. Devote yourself to it. A God calling his body, his church, to live in his reality so we can be his people. As proven by the testing of our unshaken belief that in his story, death is followed by resurrection and new life. And I believe that if we do that, if we find that presence, we find that story, we have a profound spirit-directed opportunity ahead of us. Through Christ's presence, we have the opportunity to surrender all the pain, all the failure, all the dying to a God that promises to craft out of those moments the very symbols of who we are. Jewelry of resurrection, new life, rebirth. Jewelry that adorns a community that knows who it is on the other side of death. I believe that we have the ability to shape jewelry from our scars with the grace of God as a people together. 
And I think through that, we can become the church as it was meant to be, a Kintsugi community, a community that truly professes its belief in this story of Christ crucified and resurrected because it has found it to be true in the testing of its being and the fruit of its community and the unshaken belief of God's reality that we are on the very path to which we can become who we are made to be. That is what it means to be the church undone to be remade. That is what I believe God is calling E3 to be in this new season of life resurrected after death. And next week, we're gonna talk more specifically what that might look like as we move forward into this new season of resurrection life. But for today, I want us just to sit with this because we cannot be a Kintsugi community who believes that death is followed by resurrection if we only believe it for individuals. It has to be something we also believe for the people of God as a community. We can't sit here and say, I believe that resurrection comes after death for me, but not for his children gathered as a people. If we are going to believe that this is a true story, then we must live it out together. We must let it become our story. We must let it see us remade together through it. Which means, I believe we must start where the church has always been called to start by finding Jesus right here, right now, present with his people, and by remembering his story as our story. We have been through the breaking. We have been through the dying. Now we need to find the remaking and the resurrection we've been promised on the other side if we will just commit to who we are. We need to begin to look for how God is going to remake, redeem, and resurrect this season too. I don't know, for me, that means relearning surrender of control, relinquishing what I thought had to be at E3. What I thought needed to happen for E3 to be okay, I have to surrender that so I can allow the Spirit to lead me in this community into something new and, quite frankly, something better than I probably can imagine. New life, Spirit-led. I don't know. For me, it's, it's about not forgetting who I am. And that doesn't mean that we forget what happened. It doesn't mean that we refuse to learn or to change or from admit and name honestly what was broken and what failed, but it does mean we change how we respond to it. It does mean that we look at it as the pathways to new life, as a necessary, though painful, journey that we were called to go on to become who we are. For others, it might mean that you just need to find hope again. I don't know, it's incredibly hard when crisis strikes. It's exhausting. You feel like you've been beat up. You feel like it's one thing after another. You feel like things are never gonna be able to change, but that is not the story you've been given. Our story is not about despair. There are people in this community who have just taken a step back, who have just said, I can't do this. And I need you to hear the story you've been given because our God is here and he is working and he needs you to hope again. And he needs you to lean in. He needs you to step in. He needs you to be a part of the resurrection story he is writing right here, right now, with all that we are. That is the story we've been given, and I need you to remember it. And other people, myself included, 
We just need to devote ourselves to producing the fruit we were made for. We need to be the church by producing the fruit of the church, by remembering and retelling his story in communion, by devoting ourselves to fellowship and community, by the giving and serving, seeing all that we have as a gift to bless others. We need to go back to being who we are called to be as proven by the fruit of our labor and love. And I think that if we do that, we are going to see God take these broken pieces of ourselves and he's going to turn them into jewelry of grace, power, jewelry that adorn a church that has been faithful to his story and believe that he is at the center of all that we are. So, do you believe that we are a community that will be capable of coming out of the other side of trials and breaking to find itself actually professing a true belief and how it lives and how it gives grace and how it forgives and how it moves forward into resurrection? Do you believe that E3 is that kind of place? Because I do. I've seen us prove it. I believe that's going to lead us to who we are called to be, a church remade by God, redeemed, resurrected from the very moments of dying, becoming something beautiful, wearing the jewelry of its testimony as evidence of who we are when it mattered most, a community with a God at the center that tells us that death is followed by resurrection and new life, a God that tells me that if I find him here, we will be redeemed. And that's a community with a story that I think I can get behind. Amen? Amen. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to gather to worship, and we are going to remember what we're connected to and who we are.